Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. God, people make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate. And boy, we do a lot of teaching tonight. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Every Monday, I come to work with this giant sheaf of papers that contains some terrific reports on individual stocks, along with what we call top-down analysis from whip-smart strategists who outline what they're seeing in the big picture from their 30,000-foot purchase. The top-downers are exceptional in what they do, although what they do is isn't always worth doing. They typically try to rationalize all the big picture inputs, the Fed, the Treasury yield curve, inflation, wages, housing, and only the soft landing versus recession thesis. Then they come up with price targets for the averages, given their assumptions about the world. Hey, by the way, the Dow finished the day up 100 points. This be declined 0.15%. NASDAQ dipped 0.21%. Now, see, I'm not a huge fan of the top-down analysis. That's called macro, all right? I like the micro thinkers, the people who analyze the fortunes of individual companies. They manage to gauge prospects. They take inputs and come up with estimates for gross margins, revenues, and only earnings, then translate those into price targets for individual stocks. I find they're pretty much always on their game, always doing their homework, especially during earnings season. Now, these two classes of analysts seem to be totally at cross purposes with each other, like they have nothing in common. The top downers never seem to stroll down the halls of the research department, checking in with the stock analysts. Hey, how's that? What's the story going? Is that Intel quarter real? I mean, do you really like the Microsoft? Hey, is this the time General Mills is working? No, they don't do that. See, they have their worldviews, and they're hidebound by notions. Like if the yield curve is inverted, we're inevitably headed for recession. Or if the Fed keeps raising rates, well, then stocks must come down, correct? I mean, isn't that what happens? At this stage of the slowdown, the inputs that the macro analysts look at are all pretty negative. So that leads to downbeat forecasts and a propensity to want to warn people to sell stocks. As I told members of the investing club last night when I sent my Sunday night miss about, these strategists believe the yield curve can't be wrong. So it remains a matter of time before Jay Powell crashes the plane. And let's not forget, lurking, lurking, lurking an election. Oh, yeah, and there's the runaway price of oil with West Texas crude hitting its highest level since April. All bad news. They know nothing from a top-down perspective. Now, I strive to have an open mind. So I read these pieces with some respect, a degree of respect. They're part of what I regard as the challenge of the profession. But the reports on the individual stocks, music to my ears. The companies themselves, they represent the dynamic state of capitalism. It's not necessarily bound by any of these top-down forecasts. The reality of how companies are doing often reduces top-down forecasts to nothing more than hapless, helpless mumbo-jumbo. That sounds really brilliant, but it's totally vapid when it comes to actually trying to make money. Okay, so let me give you a classic example. I'll give you a couple. This one's right at the top of my Procter & Gamble, okay? On Friday, Procter reported a quarter that was, quite frankly, remarkable. 
you own it for the Chapel Trust. Companies are a house of ingenuity with tremendous balance sheet and the ability to create and develop new ideas that are simply better than its current day products. Regimen extending, they say. While the top-down strategists are thinking about how an economy might be gutted by the Fed's rate hikes, the good people of Procter & Gamble have spent the last three years living in hell, with half of the company's profits wiped out by commodity costs. Transportation costs, foreign exchange headwinds. Yet the company was still able to grow its operating margin by 310 basis points, along with putting up 7% organic sales growth and returning an insane amount of cash to shareholders via dividends and buybacks. Now, after three years of misery, Procter's in heaven. It's been able to maintain prices at high levels, but now its raw costs are starting to fall substantially. Managers predicting an $800 million tailwind, also known as a windfall because it's money directly in their pocket. Only three times in the past 51 quarters has Procter had to cut prices when its raw costs came down. The company can pull off keeping prices higher for you at the supermarket thanks to its amazing brand management and the power of innovation. See, you don't mind because you like what you get. But see, here's what's really important. Procter & Gamble isn't an outlier. Somehow, J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo, another travel trust name, they were able to put up blockbuster numbers this quarter, something that simply can't be reconciled with what the big-time strategists were bloviating about when it comes to sharply rising short rates. And how the heck can they explain the remarkable resurgence of a company like Alphabet? Yeah, the old Google. With a dynamic cloud division, a reaccelerating search business, and a youthful YouTube, which might be worth far more than anyone thought, as streaming gains daily revers, revers and ads come back? Ads aren't supposed to be coming back in the scenario that the analysts are talking about, the strategists. Now, it'd be one thing if I were just cherry-picking, okay, I mean, picking the best ones. But we get these macro-defined quarters on an almost daily basis. How could the major home builders, D.R. Horton, Lennar, Toll Brothers, Pulte, all report extraordinary numbers when the Fed's doing everything it can to bring down the sky-high price of housing? The big thing strategists have charts and graphs up the wazoo saying that this can't possibly be happening. But it is! We don't have enough houses. Interest rates stayed so low for so long that too many people got cheap mortgages. They're not willing to surrender. And the home builders don't want to build too many homes because they're also afraid about a recession, too. They see the same top-down analysis that you do and I do and the analysts tell them. So in the end, you get this bizarre situation where the Fed can't crush housing, making the top-downers look like uh, clowns. Not unlike Lindy. We have them one tonight. That's an industrial gas distributor with stagnant sales, yet it's been able to put up terrific earnings growth thanks to big price increases that are sticking, paired with an indispensable set of products that are helping to decarbonize while making bigger, better semiconductors and providing oxygen, helium, and most important, hydrogen, green hydrogen, the great long-haul trucking fuel of the future, or Boeing, which simply can't help but to make boatloads of money. They can't, right? Because of the insatiable post-COVID rise of revenge travel. Never mind the yield curve, never mind the Fed, never mind any of the models about how things have played out historically. The oddity of all of this is that if you ask the average viewer, reader, or even portfolio manager what matters most, they almost always say it's the prognostications of the uh, prognosticators. They, they speak with more gravitas. They're steeped in history. They're very eloquent, and they always seem to be taking counsel of the smartest people in the world, which tend to be the richest people. They have big, bold-faced names. They are the stars of our industry. To me, though, after all these years, I've come to know one immutable truth. There's no monopoly on stock market knowledge. I'd much rather put together my own insights about how the economy is doing based on individual companies than rely on the stock forecast in aggregate by some sort of mosaic that I don't believe in. I know I'm lucky I devour the individual reports like you kids covered their Robux and their Hot Wheels. If the game is one of love, then you can study all 500 companies in the S&P and reach your own conclusions. 
which will be more valuable if your goal is to make money in the stock market, not just to opine. Of course, to cover the entire index, you'd have to have a lot of free time or life devoid of amusement and familial obligations. Nobody's perfect. But bottom line, I'm trying to help you make money in individual stocks, not allocate billions of dollars among a host of sectors for a cash-rich hedge fund. These big-time professional money managers have so much money under management that individual stocks are just too small for them. And that's why they fixate on these top-down forecasts, because they can only make meaningful bets in the aggregate. You're not them. You can do the homework with me and arrive at much more useful conclusions about actual stocks of real companies and make a lot more money. Let's go to Srini in North Carolina. Srini! Hey, Jim. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I have uh, two questions. Uh, uh, American Airlines, uh, what's going on with that? Uh, ever since they came out with uh, tremendous uh, uh, results, it stopped going down. And the second question is, uh, I'm long on... Uh, shares. Uh, I bought at 19. Should I hold or sell? I want you to. It's a very inexpensive stock. The airline business is a little bit in flux. The internationals I like more. I like Delta more. But I think at $16.75, you're going to do well. I want you to hold on to American Airlines. Let's go to Brian in Florida. Brian. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? I am doing well, Brian. Thanks for calling. What's up? Thank you. I wanted to ask about a company I don't hear talked about a lot, um, but does fit in the AI AI wheelhouse uh, Nice limited. You know, it's it's really interesting. We used to talk about it all the time when it was mostly cybersecurity. They do a lot of web, uh, a lot. Uh, they do a they had, see, a problem. I think they're in their video, they're in telephony, they're in so many different spaces. But I share with you the joy of that company. It's a little bit expensive, but I think it's really good. We've liked it since the show started. So I say, game on, Dale in Florida, Dale. Hey Jim, happy Monday to you. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. How about you? And not too bad. I don't know. I'm super excited and pumped up. This market's got is uh, driving me nuts. Why? Let's go into that. Come on, we we're people making money. Let's 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 get our share. Absolutely. All right, I got one for you. Coming off uh, a better than expected earnings, um, an exciting new advertising program getting ready to start. What's your take on Roku? I have to tell you, I've been surprised that Roku's doing as well as it is. But then again, when we look and see that almost 40 percent of the way people watch TV is through streaming, that is Roku's wheelhouse. And so therefore, I think that it can have the momentum to go higher. It's going to have to do without me at this point because the stock is up so much, more than 130 percent. But I understand the theme, and I wouldn't have if it weren't for the fact that streaming is just so darn powerful. OK, look. You can rely on macro forecasts all you want, but there is no monopoly on knowledge when it comes to the stock market. And if you listen to what some of these individual companies are telling us, you might have a more positive view on the market than some of these top-down strategists are offering. On Mad Tonight, Bestie Club members know that this industrial gas stock is really on fire, but how well do you know, Vinny? I'm running through the latest with the company's top grass. And just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, it's chart week on Mad Money. And we're kicking things off with one of the best of the best, Jessica Inskip, where she's sharing a big call on what the future could hold for the red-hot NASDAQ 100. And CNH, yeah, the old case New Holland reported earnings beat for the second quarter, but the stock fell after the earnings. So what does Wall Street not like about it? Maybe they're thinking too small. I'm digging in with an old hand, the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. 
Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Last Thursday, we got a confusing quarter for one of my absolute favorite companies. It's a company called Lindy, L-I-N-D-E. It's an industrial gas distributor. It's a stock that we own for our travel trust. It's been one of the greatest long-term performers the trust has ever had. The numbers are a little confusing because Lindy's business reporting is a little more complex than most industrials. As we explained to CBC Investing Club people, Lindy seemed to miss the headline sales number, but that's only because their contracts with customers allow for variable pricing. And that makes so that if there's, say, big swings in the cost of energy, uh, well, it doesn't really impact their bottom line. It doesn't impact you as a shareholder. They're passing them on to clients. When you look at Liddy's underlying sales growth, which strips out these variable costs, it was actually up 6% year over year. Plus, management pushed their huge margin improvements through, and they've got some major clean energy opportunities, especially green hydrogen, which I know you care greatly about. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Sanjeev Lumba. And he is the CEO of Liddy. Get a better sense of what to, what's going on with the company. Mr. Lumba, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Good okay. to be back. Okay, so Sanjeev, this, you are a complex company, but I want to boil it down to some simple things. When it comes to some of the... the True, great themes of our world right now, decarbonization, yep. making semiconductors, yep. staying so that we have a, a, a planet that can use green hydrogen, not just dirtier hydrogen. These will all come back to you. How could one company be so central to so many different industries? Jim, the underlying principle of our resilience comes from the fact that we serve many different industries and different gas applications for each of those industries. And that is really where we're actually serving the electronics market with every fab that happens. Any major player, we are a supplier to them. We want to make sure they're successful. We play a small but critical role in most manufacturing processes. So whether we introduce blue and green uh, you know, hydrogen for decarbonization of different industries, or whether it's using you know, carbonation for food and beverage, you know, where you pick up a nice beer or, or a Coke, you know that it's, it's great because we put some gas into it and it, it brings it to life. 
I mean, that resilience comes because we are spread across this vast number of end markets that we serve. But I'll mention, say, uh, carbon sequestration. And that's Lindy. It I is. mean, we'd like to think it's a lot of coming, but it's you. It is. So let's talk about decarbonization. Sure. We're excited about the development. And, and I was going to say that your passion comes through everywhere, that this is really an important issue. It is. It is. We feel we have a role to play, Jim. And, and really, what we have to say is Lindy has something to offer across the entire hydrogen value chain. So let's talk about decarbonization. I'll, I'll give you headline numbers and I'll talk a little bit deeper about what's happening. Headline numbers, we went out to the markets and said, we believe over the next 10 years, we'll make investment decisions of 50 billion. That's a big opportunity in our industry, certainly a big opportunity for us at Lindy. So we get, we're excited about that. But there are use cases that are real. This is about producing blue and green hydrogen to make sure we're enabling decarbonization to happen. Where does it happen? It can happen in mobility. So essentially, wherever you've got a large payload, it could be a truck. Long-haul trucking? Bus. Yes. For absolutely. real? For, for real? real? For real. It's only a question of time. It's a question of a couple of years when you get to a point where you've got a large technology development that allows long distances with short refill times. That's the, that's the key. That's the holy grail. A thousand kilometers, they say, with a 15-minute fill time. 40, 40 tr- tons of truckload there. All right, so how about if I go to the Gulf yeah. and I see what's going on there? Will I see Lindy? Absolutely, you will. So we're working in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. We see probably potentially the largest carbon capture sequestration project in the world. We, along with SLB, are actually working with Aramco to develop that. We're in feed stage right now, big investment, 54 million tons per annum of CO2. That's a lot of CO2 sequestered. First phase, we're developing 11 million tons. Okay. Now, then I go to Exxon and I go to Texas, Louisiana. Do I see you? You absolutely do. Great partnership with Exxon. We're working to develop the OCI project. We have some CO2 coming Huge. out of that. Right. Exxon's going to sequester that for us. That's what partnership means in decarbonization. Working together to make sure we make the planet better and also have an economic case that works. Okay, India, South Korea. Absolutely. You'll see us in India. We're a leading player there, have been for nearly 90 years, and a lot of new growth coming in India. India is the rising star in Asia at the moment, and we are well present in the market. South Korea, some of our biggest investments, about $1.5 billion for Samsung over the last many years. Okay, so I go out to Arizona, and I hear the TS, you know, the Taiwan Semi is a little late yep. in the factory, but you tell me don't worry because they need you earlier on. Absolutely right. We will start up that plant in the second half already, Jim. So we'll be ready with providing gases to them as they move the tools in and make sure they're ready for major production and ramp up over the next year and a half. That's a traditional life cycle for a semiconductor company. Now, uh, I happen to pass your, pass your plant in Tuscany. And I'm thinking, what is Lindy doing in Tuscany? It's just mostly wine and olive oil. You're there, too. We are there. And, of course, we help the wine become just that little bit better, Jim. You know, it's, it's making sure that wine's preserved. And in the process itself, we have a small role to play with argon nitrogen mixtures as well. But then when we had COVID and people needed oxygen at home. It was, it was a tough call. In the U.S. alone, nearly 200,000 patients would, were helped by us. Across the world, millions, Jim, because medical oxygen was key. We turned every asset we had to produce mass medical oxygen, certified, delivered to hospitals and homes to make sure we save lives. Okay, so then I want to go buy balloons at Dollar Tree. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, you know, what what can I say? We do help and support that. He lives in short supply, but notwithstanding that, we allow a little bit of joy to happen. Okay, and how is it possible? I love that. How is it possible that you've had flat sales but unbelievable earnings for many, many years? And what happens if we finally get some real growth in in this world? Because you've had so many different years that you've been up. So I'm going to tell you a couple of things over here. So you said organic sales were up 6%, mainly on price. Right. We recognize that. 
Productivity and pricing are the levers we know well. And we work them hard. And, and we have a consistent track record of a decade right. of doing that. That's what drives margin expansion. We manage the spread between cost and price. And that's compound value creation, right. margin expansion every day. That's what you should expect from us. Now, not, not just that, Jim. We felt confident enough to go and raise our full-year guidance for the year. I thought that was amazing. And, and we had to do that because I, I believe we do stand out in today's market by doing that. But we have confidence that our team, we have an amazing 66,000 people who do a fantastic job of delivering this business every day. That's what gets us to that you know, double-digit EPS growth that we've committed to. Well, I've got to tell you, you're unsung. I don't know why, because you're unbelievable. People are familiar seeing your, you, you, you can see the cylinder, you see the trucks, you see everything. But we really are, you are the heart of, of, and I'm going to say this again, of our hope to make it so we have a cleaner planet. Because you're thinking more about it than anybody I know. And we are, we are really concerned about that. We have a role to play in sustainability. Yes, you do. We will cut our own emissions. Jim, this is not only about helping our customers. We will definitely help them. Just a statistic, for every ton of CO2 or greenhouse gas emissions we have, we save 2.3 times that. We feel good about that. We're serving a mission. Not many can say that. Well, I want to thank you to Sanjeev Lumba. He's the CEO of Lindy. Again, one of our largest positions for our trust. You know the stock's up here. We are not selling, and man, money's back in for the break. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Great to catch you. Coming up, Mad Money kicks off Chart Week. Tackle the technicals with a special edition of Off the Charts when we return. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Hi, I'm Josie. My daughter turns five today. I'm also an Ohio State Highway Patrol trooper. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can get home to celebrate with my daughter. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. Shark Week with Discovery Channel has sadly come to an end. But Chart Week here on Mad Money, it's just beginning. I think you can learn a lot from technical analysis. You know that, meaning the charts. So all week, we'll be hearing directly from some of the great people that we talk about all the time. Tonight, we'll get the ball rolling with Jessica Inskid. Now, remember, she's the Director of Product and Education at Options Play and the co-host of the new Market Maker podcast, that's M-A-K-E-H-E-R, which is a financial literacy program aimed at women. She nailed the turn in tech last November back when it was still very much hated, then pounded the table in the spring, two different calls that were both great. So what does she see now for the NASDAQ 100 and the broader market? This is good. Welcome them in money. And Jessica, it's just great to have you. So uh, tell me what you're thinking right now. Yeah, so I'm really focusing on the NASDAQ 100. It's the Sharknado to keep the chart week like theme going. So we have, last time we spoke, or last time I sent you my charts, we talked about this very, very, very important resistance line at 15701. Yes, you did. That's right. And this was part of these September higher highs. And what's super important about that is we're now looking at making a higher high, which is at 16.74, found on November 22nd. This is actually the support zone for that high. So this became resistance here 
became support here. So that's why this is just of the uttermost importance when we're looking at the weekly closes. Okay, uh, are we where we're with support and can we take like this or this is a level that you're maybe scared about? Well, it's something that I think now that we're in these waters, there's a heavy point of resistance. Okay. We're in molasses, if you will. So we had one weekly close above here. The All lines right. are a little thick, so we can't see that. However, it's very difficult to go above these lines. And I do want to see some consolidation before I see it move further. However, I'm looking for just consistent weekly closes above this. This was our resistance. We went right. above that. Now it's our new support. We just want weekly closes above that. No, but this does make me seem pretty bullish. I mean, we have a lot of bullish action in the NASDAQ. I'm always worried about a couple of things. For instance, uh, are we over, have we overdone it? Are we, are we too stretched? I know we've got, uh, we're going to stick with the NASDAQ 100, but adding another lens to try to gauge the strength of the rally. Tell me about the Bollinger Bands. So Bollinger Bands, a lot of people will utilize this for technology. Excuse me, a lot of technicians will utilize this as a point of resistance, which is true in some instances or if you think about mean reversion. But this represents two standard deviations. If it's hugging the trend and staying above the period here, which is a 20 period, then that indicates strength of the trend, which you see here. So we're hugging consistently. And that's good. But if we, it, 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 is it possible we go too far and then we're going to regret that we went? I mean, is there, is it something like that? Or is this just show a sign of strength and it can continue? So this is showing weakening strength because the hugging hasn't, is oh, not okay. continuing. And that's what concerns me right there. So are you saying that when I look at this, I, there's, don't get too bullish. Don't, don't get too bullish. Don't get too bullish. I'm seeing periods of consolidation. We had a rebalance which you, right, you have right. an engine. You don't want one part moving that engine specifically. Right. Otherwise, it gets overheated. Oh, okay, but now make me feel like what, that there's something that we could see in the next chart that would make you feel, I'd say, more sanguine about the situation, maybe a broadening out. Yeah, so the S&P 500 equal weight is the best chart for looking at broader breadth. Now, these are the indices that we had on the first chart that we didn't necessarily right. discuss that I think we should here is I look at the overall trend of the market, looking at the 200 weekly moving average, which is the smoother line here. Blue, okay. That's right. And I look at the 26, 40, and 13 moving averages as the trading cycle. Are we bullish or bearish? Because 13 represents one quarter, 42, and 26, three. Okay. So we want consistent quarters of pricing prices moving well, okay, up. But let me say, I mean, look, mm-hmm. I like I like uh, Nvidia, I like Apple, I like Al- uh, Alphabet. But this would make it seem like everything's equal. Why do I care about all these little guys? Because we want broad, broad participation. Why, Why does broad that matter to you? Because that's strength in the overall market. If one thing is holding it up, and I do absolutely believe that the NASDAQ 100 is a great measure for the market. Okay. However, I still want broader participation because if it's just one sector, then that's not indicative of true health. Right, However, where are we? This is good. This is great. This I'm having deja vu of the S&P 500 last quarter. So remember when we were stuck at 4,100 right. for the S&P 500 and everyone said, oh, we're sideways. This is still a direction. Right. This is sideways. But this is higher lows. And that is good. And is that how you were, what are the many reasons why you got these right? Uh, how much did the 200-day mean to you? Because I think the people who are saying all lines must be created equally to Jessica, but that sounds like it's not true. No, no, it's not at all. I want to see this sloping upwards. This is starting to slope upwards. And these are what I really pay attention to to get that trading cycle. So I think as soon as we see a weekly close consistent above the 63.21, we go back to that 
Any, any chance that we could have an, an August swoon and there would be some level where we would say, OK, that's where I want to get do my buying? Um, it's possible, but I wouldn't say that we would make it all the way over here. Jeez. I mean, my big... The big shark in the water is the labor market and Powell, right. which is a whole different conversation. However, no, I don't want that conversation. <laughs> I know. I want someone who gets it right, and that has been you oh, the thank whole you. way since you started working with us. It is an honor to have you I appreciate on the show. Thank okay. you, Jim. That's Jessica Inskip, who has been so right. And I hope you get what she You see the work that she's doing, the high quality of it. And you also make, get some comfort by the fact that the equal way could be getting better. Man, money's back into play. Coming up. Evening the field of play, Kramer sits down with CNH Industrial next. For the past couple of months, the industrials have come roaring back now that Wall Street finally realizes we may not be headed for an inevitable recession. In fact, the economy is surprisingly fine. Take CNH Industrial, the worldwide machinery company that makes agricultural and construction equipment. This stock rallied nearly 23% for the end of May from, to its highest last Tuesday. Okay, on Friday, it pulled back a quick 6% in the wake of what some people thought was a mixed earnings report. We're going to dig into that. What happened here? While CNH beat the headline sales and earnings estimates, there were some plenty of issues that we got to find more about, including we could then expect the free cash flow. Management didn't raise their full year forecast, even as they said they'll see more of a benefit from currency fluctuations. That's just organic numbers will be worse than we thought. I'm not sure about that either. Now, the stock's pulled back to $14 and change, so I've got to wonder if this isn't the viable dip. There's just so many good things happening here. Let's check in with someone who's an old friend of the show, Scott Wine. He's the CEO of CNH Industrial, to find out more about the quarter and his outlook for the future. Mr. Wine, welcome back to Mid Money. Jim, great to be back on. You know, the last time I was on was when we acquired Raven, and I, that's been about two years now, and so excited about where we're going on the technology front. You know, we just spent a half a billion dollars in the first half of this year on R&D. So our innovation pipeline, both on the iron side and the technology side, is just in a really, really good place. Well, this is so important because a lot of people tell me, what does a farmer do? There's global warming. This, the ground's got to be dry. There's fewer arable acres. We've got Ukraine. Isn't the way out of this morass and feed the world through technology? Well, certainly. I mean, I've said the whole game is productivity and yield and the technology, not to just the technology we put into precision farming and on autonomy, right. but also into the iron, using AI to make sure the grains come through our combines more effectively, more efficiently. So bringing that technology to the farmer, it does enhance their productivity and yield, and ultimately that's how we're going to feed a growing population. Okay, so some people are going to say, and you heard I had some caveats there about free cash flow and different things. I don't like to get caught up in too much jargon, and the reason why I don't is because there is no doubt about it that one of the great long-term secular themes is that we have a growing population still in this world, and we need you to feed them. So if I start talking about what happened this quarter, that quarter, I miss a bigger picture of what you're going to do to be able to make it so that in an era where, say, we're, we're short water or in an era where there's fewer and fewer acres, you can still produce as much food. Is it possible? Well, it's certainly possible. You know, Jim, one of the things that we're really excited about now is the methane tractor that we're bringing out, how we can take, you know, Capture, capture methane from a slurry pit on a farm, use it to power the tractor, to power the generator on the farm, and really to create a carbon negative environment for the farmer. But, you know, you, you mentioned the quarter, and I'm not at all ashamed. I mean, our I team, know, that's I'm, why I bring it up. Your brother, the Polaris days, when you had some, oh my God, the Polaris CEO's <laughs> on today. I mean, you used to, be, you used to come in when there was no snow, and you still, had, you still made, uh, made your numbers. Yeah. No, but, I was, but the reason that we had a little bit lower cash flow and actually a little bit lower sales, we were prudent as we saw demand from farmers slow down in the Brazilian market. 
we cut back to make sure the deal, we gained market share, but we cut back so we didn't put as much inventory into the channel. That means we kept more inventory, so we have the tractors ready to sell to the, the dealers when they want it in the, the third and fourth quarter. But, you know, we took a prudent measure to protect the dealers right. rather than put more into the channel. In the meantime, the U.S., you're on fire. The big machines are going. So is that agribusiness just putting more and more money into what looks like a, a pretty good environment? Well, the cash crop business here in North America is as good as it can possibly be. You know, we had the best tractor production we've had since 2015. You know, we're going to have a tremendous second half for combine sales. We're working closely with our dealers to ensure that they get the retail uh, coming out on the other end. But, you know, we're really bullish on cash crop in general, but specifically here in the United States. Okay, so I know we shouldn't spend too much time on it because you got $4.8 billion in ag, but we got $1 billion in construction. And we're going to need everything we can when we have all the stimulus bills coming in. What does it look like for you guys in terms of just infrastructure U.S.? You know, the case construction brand is really strong. We had right. at Con Expo this year. We had a great event. And we launched so many new products that that's really what drove our 19% growth in construction. You know, and, and it was I, only 6.8 EBIT, but that's more than double the EBIT we had in the last couple of years. So we're on a margin trajectory um, positive. Stefano Pompoloni and his team do a great job with that business. And we're just really Talk excited. Talk a little more about that because not everybody knows about what you've done there in terms of. Uh, well, with construction, we bought the Sampierana brand. So we have right. access to mini excavators and mini excavators of our own. We've got access to great electric technology and, and really a footprint serving the South American market. We're cash flow and um, income positive in Europe now. We've got a growing business in Asia. So we like our construction business. It's a smaller part of the business, but the brand is really strong and the opportunity for profitable growth is significant. I can't miss this opportunity. You are a vet. You've been one of our great support, the supporters of our program to help vets, and you've always done everything you can. And yet we've got this mess in Ukraine. Uh, sort it out for me. Tell me what should happen. And tell me what it means for the world and food. Well, I mean, certainly I'm just incredibly proud of the, I mean, the Ukrainian population, the work they're doing to defend their country, and, and really seeing the West come together to provide them the support they need. You know, we lost, we backed out of a, a half a billion dollar business in Russia. We shut everything down, so we're out of the Russian market. Um, we still continue to sell into the Ukraine farmers. I mean, most of the farming is in the West and fighting is in the East, so we're able to have a, a little bit of business there. The grain, you know, the, the, the shutting down the, um, the port, into the Black Sea really does, it's going to raise grain prices, which is horrible for the people that need those grains, mostly right. in, in Africa, but it is going to raise grain prices, ultimately better for farmers they're trying to sell. Now, uh, government stimulus does matter. Uh, where are we in Washington with government stimulus? Not just, we used to be, the, the government used to really help the farmers. Are the farmers just doing so well they don't need help? No, I think you know, we are seeing soft commodity prices come down. They're okay. still above the average norm, but you know the government will step in. Well, we're going to say it's only because big comp, high horsepower is working. But not everything's high horsepower. The other stuff seems a little soft. Yeah, we talked about our, our low horsepower tractors will be down about 20% in the what? second half. No, it was really a, a pull forward in demand uh, during the pandemic years, yeah. so I think you saw that. And, and really lack, just the cash crop is where the strong, strong demand is. Our hay and forage business is doing better right now, so okay. we actually did a little bit better in the second quarter, but still expect to be slower than the, the higher. You are power. so fired up. You know it's terrific because we all through the years, you've always come to play. But I think you're just, I think CNH, I guess, can be trading here by the end of the year. It's going to be, we're going to think of it as American and you're going to be the guy. No, we, we're certainly uh, on path to have a listing solely in here. We're going to delist from Milan been a great, you know, having the dual listing right. when it served our purpose better, but we're really excited to, to be a, a real 
Well, as always, I'm all in, Scott Wine. Can't resist, all right? Good to see you. That's Scott Wine, CEO of CNH Industrial, one of the great industrial legends of our time. Mad Money's back here for the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. Just when you thought it was safe to wade back in, is there danger lurking in the market's murky waters? Kramer's talking to top technicians and going over the great white charts to help you be the bigger fish in this tape. Don't miss Chart Week, all this week on Mad Money. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski deck. Time for the lightning round. We're going to start with Brad. Uh, Brad in South Carolina. Brad. Yes, sir, Mr. Kramer. How you doing? I am doing well. How about you, sir? All right, all right. Got a quick question for you. With Spirit Airlines reporting on Wednesday morning, and the airline's been doing so good, flying high, you might say. Right. Where do you think uh, Spirit is going to go from here? I am concerned about Spirit because that market has become very competitive. They were hoping to do a little bit more consolidation. The government's not going to let them. So I'm going to say we should take a pass on Spirit. There's better other places to go, and I like Delta. Let's go to Matt in Colorado. Matt. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course, Matt. I'm a pretty new listener, but I've already learned so much from you. So thank you thank for you. everything that you do. Thank you Let's very much. It. Thank you. Uh, I was just wondering what your thoughts are on ChargePoint and the EV charging space. Okay, in they are losing money. I am not going to recommend stocks on the show that are losing money. I will tell you, just as a little background, there's a big short position, and all the big shorts that I follow, companies that are heavily shorted, are all working. So it wouldn't shock me if it just shot up meme wise, but I can't recommend on a fundamental basis. Let's go to Cody in Texas. Cody. What's going on, Jim? Booyah. Booyah, Cody. Booyah, what's happening? Oh, yeah, so I was playing lead with my buddy second call when AFK at the jungle, and we are wondering, what is IonQ doing on the moon lately? Because it's quantum computing, and people are desperate to find something that does quantum. I kid you not. There are concepts whose time has come. Quantum is one that people are desperate to find one, 14% short position, so it goes higher. No, I can't recommend it. It's losing money, but I get what's happening. How about Punkio in New Jersey? Punkio! Booyah, Jim. First time call. Thanks Fantastic. for having me. Well, of just course, thank you. Your input. Just wanted to get your input on a Biohaven DHB. Okay, Vlad Shorch had a study that did not turn out well last week, and it drove the stock down. I think it's taken a lot of the fluff out of the stock, and therefore I like it, but it is losing a lot of money. And I remember the original Biohaven, which was bought by Pfizer, is Nurtech. And as the chief spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation, I want everyone to ask for Nurtech when they have, I don't take any money, when they have a migraine, because the medical community is not aware of it. That's what I care about. Let's go to Randy in Florida. Randy. Good evening, Jim. Good evening, Randy. Thank you What's for, up? Yeah, thank you for all your insights and observations. They are very helpful. I need help on a stock that seems to be in a slow downward spiral. All right. Is there, is there any light at the end of the tunnel for G-O-L-D? I have to admit, Barrett Gold has been a disappointment. And, and uh, you know, I've been looking at things like Franco Nevada, or of course, just like there's a gold ETF that it's actually going to be, actually, there's going to be gold crypto soon. Um, I have to stand by the fact that Mark Bristow is very good, but it is big, but there's no 
two ways about it. It's been disappointing, uh, and I think that there may be, and I'm working on other ways to play gold, including actually a Geco Eagle, which I'm beginning to like more. Sorry, Mark, but I got to tell it as I see it. I play for these people. Let's go to Tom in New York. Tom. Hello, Jim Kramer, and Wow, look, don't you love that? What's going on? Uh, I want to know, what is your short-term slash medium-term out of view on Marvell technology? I think Marvell could go to 70-75. The quarter was good, mostly because they had this tremendous AI business that goes in conjunction with what NVIDIA is doing. But I'll tell you, I looked at it again to be able to go back to it for the Chapel Trust. We had a very nice move in it. And I did feel that perhaps you got to wait for a pullback before you pull the trigger, even though Matt Murphy's working for you 24-7. Ginny in Florida. Ginny. Good. Hi. Ginny, what's up? taking my call. Of course. Made my portfolio look pretty good over the years. Oh, thank you, Ginny. Thank you. How can I help? Um, I have um, some issues with Cleveland Cliffs. Okay. DLF. Yeah. They... They don't have much of a future, is what I'm seeing. And, well, and yet. I, I, I gotta differ. I think that the company is, is in a, a you know, we're in a cyclical business here when we talk steel. I think they're doing better than people realize, but uh, they know that Nucor is my favorite. Nucor is the way, if you want to be in a steel company, Nucor is the one you want. Another big move again in the stock. A lot of big moves today, by the way, including many big moves on the NASDAQ. Let's go to Taj in California. Taj. Booyah, Jim. I want to know your opinion on this under-the-radar derivative AI play. As AI disrupts the job market, you're going to see students flock to this online education platform like the Salmon of Capistrano. The company's Coursera, C-O-U-R. Well, geez, you know, okay, I don't know it. I, I, I know Chegg. I am not going to opine on something I do not know that sounds very exciting. Why don't I get back to you and find out a little bit more about it? Because that does sound like when you got the uh, Capistrano, you got the birds. I mean, like, you know, hey, what the heck? I'm, I've got me all interested. Let's take it up. Let's go to Brandon in New Jersey. Brandon. Hey, Kramer. Um, I got a uh, another stock, which, uh, you know, my AI has... has uh, pointed out to me as being particularly interesting. Okay. That is Endava. Well, Endava actually makes money. Um, they do test automation technologies uh, consulting. I like that. Uh, it may have something to do with AI, but I've got to tell you what it mainly does. It makes a lot of money for a lot of different industries, and I'm going to say you're okay with that one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, goodbye, old friend, until we meet again. Kramer explains why the trust parted ways with a long-time holding. Next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. He chose to reward me by coming on your show. It's all good. Take all this personally. I take everything personally. I'm aware of that. But you everything get, you personally. You get more interviews than practically anyone on the planet. I'm not planet. working hard enough. Is the way I no, take away. You are working too hard. Too hard. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Jim Kramer, the diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show. I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it. 
just when you thought it was safe to wade back in, is there danger lurking in the market's murky waters? Kramer's talking to top technicians and going over the great white charts to help you be the bigger fish in this tape. Don't miss Chart Week, all this week on Mad Money. Today we say goodbye to a long-standing holding of my charitable trust, Johnson & Johnson. Normally when we sell a stock, it's because something's changed at the company or in its industry. Where the stock hits our price target, we don't want to be greedy. We care about chasing profits, but as we teach members of the investing club, which chronicles the moves of the trust and details any trades before the trust makes them, we care far more about containing losses. Because when you control your losses, the gains take care of themselves. But we didn't sell J&J because of the fundamentals. This company is one of the best pharma pipelines out there, along with the terrific medical device portfolio. No, we sold the stock because we are tired of being hostage to legal decisions that have little to do with the greatness of this company. Specifically, J&J's neck deep in lawsuits involving its baby powder and whether its one-time key ingredient, talc, had traces of asbestos in it that might have caused people to get cancer. When these talc lawsuits first exploded, I brought on then-CEO Alex Gorski to make money. And after a considerable amount of research on my own, I came to the conclusion that Johnson Johnson acted in good faith. At the very least, they didn't know about the asbestos. In fact, I was convinced there might not have been any asbestos to begin with. That was a misjudgment by me. Since then, there have been a seemingly endless number of cases filed against J&J. And while it's won many of them, it's lost some big ones, too, including a $2 billion judgment that made me believe I simply wasn't taking the plaintiff's side seriously enough. Fortunately, J&J came up with what I thought was an excellent strategy to pay $8.9 billion to the plaintiffs as part of a North American-wide settlement that would have put this whole thing behind them and, more important, put money into the hands of the claimants immediately. Good for everyone. And many plaintiffs' lawyers agreed. I started feeling hopeful. In the meantime, J&J reported a terrific quarter and spun off its consumer products division as Kenview, a usually successful IPO. But really, the charitable trust was betting on litigation, and that's not a game you want to play. In retrospect, I was far too sanguine about J&J's ability to get a settlement that would protect their shareholders from unlimited losses through a novel use of the bankruptcy code. On Friday night, the judge overseeing the faux bankruptcy sided with the plaintiffs against J&J, so the company's once again at the mercy of the lawyers bringing suits for extremely sympathetic individuals. The court ruled that J&J was not in true financial distress, so it didn't have a right to the bankruptcy course that it took. I guess they have to wait until J&J has bled dry before they'll use a common-sense solution. That means the cases will now mount up and another procession of hard-to-predict verdicts lies ahead. On Friday night, I just had enough with J&J, regardless of my personal beliefs about their culpability. I simply can't have a position that's precarious because of litigation, not because of the fundamentals. This business is hard enough without playing lawsuit roulette with jackpot justice. I don't want to wake up one day and discover that some runaway jury decided J&J's earnings belong not to the shareholders, but to the sick claimants. I've actually seen this happen several times. Uh, in situations that were truly pernicious, where the companies were worth condemnation. I don't think J&J is one of them, but so what? It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the juries think. In the end, I didn't think the ultimate upside, a series of wins by J&J or perhaps a Supreme Court victory down the road, was worth hoping for. Hope should never be a part of the investing equation. Given the nature of our legal system, there's really no telling how bad this could be which is why we had the charitable trust sell its shares in this great American company. You see, I like betting on businesses, not lawsuits, and the lawyers who gain them. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. 
All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries will warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. Hey, I'm Ruben. My band and I have a new song. I'm also a tow truck driver. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I get to go home at the end of the day and see my bandmates. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down.